The scripture reading this week is not what was read. I changed my sermon because I was expecting some other people here today and give this sermon to you because it'll be good. (laughs) I want to talk with you today a little bit about something that is going all over the country. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention is getting ready to meet. And one of the things that they're going to fight about is Calvinism. I was thinking about that this week and so decided that today would be a good opportunity to preach upon that. But I wanted to say before we begin that it's so good to have Blake and Terry here with us and it's so good to have Lexi with us today. She uh, has moved to the LA area. She's going to try to attend here. It's just good to have all of you. I'm going to preach today upon can a child of God fall from grace. And this, of course, is a real problem that a lot of churches are into today, that they believe that you cannot fall from grace. So I'm going to introduce it this way. In 2 Peter, the first chapter, verses 5 through 11, he said, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My question to you is what happens if you don't keep those things? That little bitty word if tells you that there is a condition upon you going to heaven. If you don't keep those things, it means that your election is not sure. It means that you're going to fall. And this is exactly what people deny that believe in Calvinism. And many denominations and individuals teach that it's impossible to fall from grace. We hear once saved, always saved. That's one of the things that has been since the days of John Calvin. And one of my favorite preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he preached that also. That once you're saved, you're always saved. Or once in grace, you're always in grace. It is impossible for you to fall from grace. It's impossible to sin so that you apostatize. And our passage is telling us not to fall. Our passage is telling us just the opposite of that. That you will never fall if you keep these things. If you don't keep these things, then it necessarily infers that you're going to be lost. This passage is telling us how to be assured that you are safe with God. And otherwise, you're not safe. I'm only going to use three or four examples in the Bible to get my point across this morning. 
But the point is that you can indeed fall from grace. And if you can't fall from grace, why in the world would you get so many warnings in the Bible about falling? And so I'm just going to read a few of the passages first before I make my first argument. But here I want you to notice that he says in 2 Peter 3.17, Therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So we know, one, that we can fall from our steadfastness. And if we can fall from our steadfastness, does God teach that we are to be steadfast? Does God teach that we are to remain faithful all the days of our life? It's not so much how you start the game, it's how you finish the game. Everybody in a race knows that. You can start and you can start real well and you can start and be in first place and then all of a sudden you're in last place. You may not even make it to the finish line. Well, you didn't finish. And then the second thing in James 5.12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now, if you fall into condemnation, does that mean that you're lost? Does that mean that you have been condemned by God? Well, if it does, then the whole doctrine falls apart. And then if you notice in Hebrews 5:12, he's encouraging these individuals for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracle of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So he says, be careful you are to grow. If you're to grow, if you can't fall, if you can't be lost after you've been saved, then why do you need to grow? Well, he says, you are going to have to be taught the first principle again and come back up to where you should be. And then in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 26 through 31, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now I want you to notice who he's judging. He's judging his people. His people are those in Christ. And so those in Christ are going to be judged. And those in Christ, he says, it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So he is giving warnings. And so now we're going to start on our first argument. We've got our introduction. And now we can start with the lesson. I want to consider, first of all, the Christians in Galatia. 
In Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 1 through 4, and he's talking about liberty from the sin and death that they had escaped from. So he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not again entangled with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now I want you to get that. Ye are fallen from grace. Ye who? Who are the Galatians? Are these Galatian people... People that have been made free through Jesus Christ. And I'm contending that he is. I'm contending that that is exactly what the Bible says. That you can, that they have fallen from grace. He's talking to Christians. It's the same people that you find over here in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. When he says, now ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So these individuals are in Christ. They have come into him because they were washed by the blood of the Lamb. And so now, he says, you are fallen from grace. Why? Because they had decided to be justified in another way. Well, why had some fallen that way? Well, in Galatians, the first chapter, verse 6 through 9 I marvel that you are so soon removed from him. Now, how can you be removed from him if you can't be removed from him? Do you follow that logic? They were removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Were they in the grace of Christ? Yes, but they had fallen out of the grace of Christ. How did they fall out of the grace of Christ? Well, they went to another gospel. And it was not another, but there be some who trouble, that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that have, you have received, let him be accursed. Now question. If I leave and go to another gospel and believe somebody's teaching that is not the teaching of Christ, if I do that, have I been removed from him that called me to the grace of God? Yes. So if I'm called removed from Christ, I don't believe that anybody can contend that you are saved without Christ. If I've been removed from him, I've been cut off from him. And if I've been cut off from him, then I'm lost. I want you to think about something as we go, as we were reading back where he said, ye are fallen from grace. That you cannot fall from something that you have never been in. You cannot fall from a tree if you never get in a tree. You cannot fall off of a horse if you've never been on a horse. Now, that's just logical. 
So he says, you have done something that they say you can't do. You have fallen from grace. And they argue you can't fall from grace. Now, how can you argue that you can't fall from grace when he says you have fallen from grace? Well, that becomes nonsensical. And I want to tell you, there are thousands of preachers that believe this doctrine. It's not as many as do not believe it, but there are thousands that believe this. In fact, they do not believe that man can do anything. They've taken all responsibility away from man. But do you remember, Jesus made a statement one time. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. But man can't do anything. Well, how can you come to Christ if you can't come to Christ? You see, it's nonsensical arguments. If you can't fall from something and they had fallen from grace, then I believe that one side is wrong on this question, don't you? The next thing I want you to notice is in John, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 8. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Who takes it away? The Father takes it away. If it's taken away, is it still in Christ? If it's not in Christ, he says, And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That's the apostles. That's the apostles. They are clean because they had taken the word that Christ had spoken. And he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth not in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man, notice that, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so ye shall be my disciples. Now I want you to notice, if you don't abide in him, it's just like it is out in the world, that when it's taken away from the branch, men gather it and burn it up. Now the men are not going to do it, but God says it's just like that. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't abide in me. And also, if you'll notice, that you have to bear fruit. You can, you know, if you don't bear fruit, you're not worth anything. He said you have to bear fruit and you have to abide in me. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. If you don't abide in me, you're going to be cut off. By who? By God. One of the things that people do not realize about the Bible 
The Bible is written in a Jewish form. In other words, there's the foundation of all Christianity is from the Jewish perspective and Jewish looking. Do you remember the prodigal son? And some people say, you know, once you're a son, you're always a son. Well, not according to God. Let me illustrate this way. I've got John as my son. He commits murder. They say we're going to put him to death. I said, you can't put him to death. He's my son. If I'm a good father, if I'm a good citizen, if I'm a good Christian, I say what needs to be done is he needs to be put to death. The prodigal son, when he left, the father was grieved as he took what he had learned and went out into the world. He ended up, as all of you know, with the pigs. And when he came home, the father embraced him. And the son, do you remember, the other son said, I've always been faithful to you and now you're honoring him with all this. And here's the Jewish thought. He said, this, my son, was dead. You get that? This, my son, was dead. When was he revived? When he repented and came home. When he went away from home, he loses the blessings of home. Anybody ought to be able to figure this out. That when you leave the Father, when you leave the Word, when you leave Christ, that you are in a lost condition. I don't care whether you're son or not. God will not save those that are living in sin. But we have the idea, and I have quotes all over that it doesn't matter whether you murder somebody, it doesn't matter what you do, that there is no way on God's earth that you can ever fall from the grace of God. Well, that is a false doctrine. It's just as false as can be. So this is an illustrative warning. Notice that Christ is the vine. The disciples are the branches, he says. And their status, they have been made clean. If you are arguing with a Calvinist, they'll say, well, they were never made clean. Jesus said, yes, they were. They were made clean. They were safe if they abide in Christ. Are they safe if they don't? Now, that's pretty simple, isn't it? If not, he says, they will be cut off. Cut off from what? From Christ. If they're cut off from Christ, and he said, without me, you can do nothing. Then he says, it's like men gathering branches and putting them into the fire. That's what God will do with you. They would die and burn. Well, they say, that doesn't seem right. Could you do that to your son? If he's cut off, I guess you can. 
What value is he is he if he's cut off? That's just the simple thing. Now I realize that here we don't look at things the same way that God looks at them. God looks at it from the very standpoint that whenever you leave him, and we're going to prove this before we're through, that you are going to be lost. You are lost without him. The father is the husbandman, if you'll notice, that will take away those who do not remain in Christ. Is that a picture of a man going to heaven? Do you really think that picture's a guy that's saved and going to heaven when the father takes him away? This is definitely a picture of a man that does not remain in Christ. How does he stay in Christ? That's the question we need to ask. How do we stay in Christ? He said, if my words abide in you, then I abide in you. If my words do not abide in you, then I don't abide in you. Or you don't abide in me. Either way, we are separated from Christ. And if his words abide in you, you bring forth much fruit. What if I don't bring forth any fruit? You remember in Galatians 5, he says that we are to bear fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. That's fruit that we're to have. And, of course, there is fruit of winning souls. But the main thing is in Galatians 5, that kind of fruit that he wants us to have is the same kind that we started out with. If these things remain in you, you shall never fall. If they don't, you will. Then I want you to notice over in Acts, the 8th chapter, verses 5 through 24. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city, used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. 
And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered the money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, if God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then Peter then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. What things? That he was in the bond of iniquity and that he was lost. That's the point that he's making. You in this condition are lost. And people say, well, was he really a Christian? Of course he was a Christian. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 15, 16. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Then Philip himself believed also and was baptized. Was he saved? Of course he was saved because God said that he had been saved. Well, if you can't get that, then I don't know how we can get to it. If you can't see through that, you can't see through a ladder. (laughs) Did Christ keep his promise? Was Simon saved? He thought that he could have the power to lay his hands upon people and give them the Holy Spirit. Did he have some gifts? Yes, because the apostles laid their hands on all those that believed. He was in the gall of bitterness, it says, and iniquity. And if no repentance, he was lost. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Then I want you to notice over in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much named among Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now let me just ask you before we read any further. Can a man living in fornication go to heaven? I'm serious. According to God, can a man living in fornication go to heaven? Well, if he can't, that means he's lost. If he can't, then don't do anything about it. Wouldn't that be right? If we had somebody living in fornication here in this congregation, and he can't be lost... Why do anything about it? It wouldn't make any sense. And he says, and such fornication is is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now this father's wife is probably his stepmother. But he took his father's wife And he's committing fornication with her. He's sleeping with his stepmother. 
or his mother. I don't think it was really his mother, but his stepmother. And Paul says, I'm amazed at this. I'm totally amazed at this. That you, brethren, are not doing one thing about this. In fact, you're glorying about it. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. And have you ever noticed when somebody's doing something wrong in a congregation, do you know what the congregation tries to do? It tries to look the other way. Well, that's really none of our business. Well, is it our business? God says, I want you to realize you people are terrible. You've got a terrible person living there doing what he's doing. But look at you. You are not mourning about this. They have sought to break our heart that a brother is doing that. And we ought to take action, he says. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You're not going to associate with us as a member in good standing if you commit things like this. But I wonder whether we're brave enough to do that. I really wonder whether we're brave enough to do that. We have done it once. But are we still brave enough to really do that? For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And you know what he's saying here? He's saying tell that individual that we are turning you over to Satan because you're in his power. You are under his control and we want you to know it and we're not going to put up with it. We in the church fail to help our brothers. When a brother is in sin, our responsibility is to help that brother. Was this really a brother that had been saved? I believe it was. You know why? It calls him a brother. Why are they turning him over to Satan? So that his soul can be saved. If you don't turn him over to Satan, his soul can't be saved. There has to be something that makes somebody realize. You know, and John, I don't want to embarrass you, but when John was in his last year of college, I got a... No, it was when he first moved to Ventura. I'm sorry. I got a call when I was in Utah. And Larry said, Dad, I don't know what to do. John doesn't want to be a member of the church anymore. I said, is he there? Yeah. Let me talk to him. Son, you want to get out there and sow your wild oats and so on? Yeah. (laughs) You want to leave the Lord? Yeah. I want to leave the church. I said, okay. Go ahead. 
Don't call me anymore. He was baptized that night, weren't you? He realized he had been wrong. We helped him see that he was wrong. It's like I've told the story that I hit him on his head when he wasn't sure that there was a God. And every time I'd hit him on his head, how do you know I hit you? Well, I know. You don't know. You don't know. You can't be sure. You can't be sure of anything. You can't be sure that table's there. How can you prove that table? That's Mary. You can't prove that Mary's there. That may be a figment of your imagination. He finally realized that flowers were really there. The desk was really there. So he said, deliver this guy over to Satan so that he can be saved. So many times people withdraw from people because they're mad at them. Are we mad at them? Well, we're upset with them, that's for sure. Why? Because they've forsaken the Lord. That's our Jesus. That's our God. That's the one that died for us. And he has forsaken him. For sex. For sex. Does that upset us? Yes. Now we know that I was a brother. And we realize this in, because in 2 Corinthians, the brethren there, they had withdrawn from him and then they wouldn't take him back. And he wanted to repent and come back and they wouldn't take him back. He says, take him back, take him back. He's coming back. We've accomplished what we want to accomplish. Now notice what he says going on. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out in the world. Do we associate with people that are doing that? Yes. What do we do about that? Nothing. And we're not supposed to do anything. Now, we don't advise it. But I eat with a lot of fornicators. I, I mix with a lot of people that are idolaters and so on. But he says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Now, that doesn't have any meaning if you hadn't, haven't socialized with that brother. But if you have socialized with him, he says quit socializing with him so that he may realize that he had something over here with you that he doesn't have anymore. We don't come home and talk about if Pagey were to leave the church today, 
leave the Lord today, our marriage would still go on. But there's one thing that we would not talk about in the house. And that's the word of God. You've given up that right. And until you're ready to repent, don't even mention what went on at church or anything else. Because I want you to know that the church has withdrawn from you. I want you to know that you're lost. Husband and wife, we go right on. If you're my employer, I still work for you and I still honor you. But he says, as a brother, don't encourage him. And then there is a type and an anti-type. He's talking about those in Israel. And he had pointed out in Isaiah 63. For he said, surely they are my people. Children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bared them, carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Notice, they were children of God. They were redeemed. God saved them. And they rebelled. And they disbelieved. In fact, in Jeremiah 2.32, he says, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. And God swore that they would not enter into his rest. Hebrews 3.18 And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. The believers had become unbelievers. The redeemed were now not redeemed anymore. These same people in Psalm 106, 12. Then they believed his words. And they sang his praises. The same people became unbelievers in Psalm 106, 24. Yea, they have despised pleasant land. They believed not his word. Do you really believe that an unbeliever can go to heaven? That's a question to ask. Do you believe that an unbeliever can go to heaven? And God said they became unbelievers. What did they do wrong? Paul said they committed adultery. They committed fornication. They tempted Christ. They murmured against God. And what happened? They fell in the wilderness. That's a picture for us. It was written for us. You have to decide. 
If you bet, and if you're a betting man or a woman, if you bet that you can leave God without impunity, think again. Study the scriptures. So if you're here this morning and you have left God, and you can know whether you left God, do you keep his commandments? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you're not keeping his commandments, if you're not doing what God wants you to do, if you're not really making that attempt, I don't see how you can be saved. And that's God's word, not mine. You can change that right now by repenting and coming to God. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.